0: I can't believe we're already at the 10th day of March. Time keeps on moving by so fast. Uh, I I have my Baptize Your Babies Lex Lutheran mug ready to go filled with coffee. I hope you have a big cup of coffee as today we're going to oh start a little, I guess, mini series for our devotions on Tuesday morning as we're going to look at the epistle texts of uh, Lent. Uh, these epistle texts, of course, coming from uh, the lectionary that the that many churches use uh, during this time of year. Of course, we've just started the season of Lent uh, in the last week and a half or so. Actually, um, well, pretty close to that anyway. And um, <clears throat> and the point of Lent, of course, is to um, not that not that we ever have a time or we ever should have a time where repentance isn't a part of our life. But it's this, this season before we uh, run up to Good Friday and Easter in which we observe why it is Jesus had to come, uh, of course because of our sin, but also out of his great love for us. And so we're examining various gospel texts on Sundays, at least in my church, uh, that point us to those things. Uh, but we typically don't preach on the epistle text this time of year for whatever reason. And uh, some churches do, some churches don't. So I figured I'd tackle some of those passages over the next few weeks. So today we're going to look at uh, one of my absolute favorite passages in the entire Bible, uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. There's part of me that just feels like I could just read this passage and that would be good enough. Like we don't have to go any further than what it says because it is packed to the gills with good news. But uh, But I'll attempt to um, at least exegete it a little bit for you. So it reads like this, Romans 5, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." End of reading. I told you. I told you it's good. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, So, hey, uh, have you ever seen somebody say that they're feeling one way, but something about their cadence, uh, their tone, their posture just suggests to you that it's not true? Uh, for example, I mean say someone is telling you with their words over and over and over again that they have the they have the peace that surpasses all understanding right now, that they're totally content, but even as they are telling you those words they are saying it through gritted teeth and they're smoking a cigarette very antsy and they're shaking and sweating profusely. You might be right to say I don't know man you're not giving off the peace that surpasses all understanding vibe right now <laughs> and they might say no no I'm full of peace but but you get what I'm saying there's there's a way in which we can say we have something but there's something about our cadence and our tone that suggests we don't and I think that that, that kind of thing happens a lot with, with uh with Christians when it comes to the word joy Uh, First of all, the definition of the word has been made, I think, so fuzzy by us egghead preachers that I think a lot of people aren't even sure exactly what to make of the word joy. So let me begin here with a definition. Um, The Greek scholars Rogers and Rogers in the New Testament say that in the New Testament, the primary word used for joy could indeed be substituted with the word happiness or pleasure grounded in one's relationship to God that second part is very important happiness or pleasure grounded in one's relationship to God but then there's the word translated rejoicing in our Romans passage today and that word is a little different the word here in Romans 5 for rejoicing actually is most often translated boasting and it really has this sense of like triumphant exultation So think uh, the Chicago Cubs fans the moment that they finally won the World Series a few years back or or when, you know, your political candidate for president wins or something like that. For me, I can't help but think of the birth of my first son um, when he, uh, you know, there was complications with his, you know, with uh, my wife going into labor. And uh, we weren't sure if he was going to make it, and so being able to see him for the first time and seeing that he was alive was just triumphant exultation, was joy. So Paul insists that the Christian faith, in this passage, gives us incredible reasons for exuberant, confident, boastful, boastful triumphant, exultation slash joy. Why? Well, let me break it down in three ways for you here from this passage first we're going to see because it's of what he's preparing for us in the future that's why we can be joyous second we can be joyous because of what he's working for us what he's working in us presently and third we can be joyous because of what he's accomplished for us in the past okay so first we rejoice because of what he's preparing for our future paul states it this way we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God now what is Paul referencing here with that phrase hope of the glory of God well it seems to me and I think it's pretty obvious to most that he is talking about the day that we will finally be perfected in eternity he's talking about heaven no more sin no more struggle no more pain no more tears I've been convinced for many years that we don't spend enough time talking about heaven. And I think the reason we don't is because, well, the language describing heaven in Scripture can sometimes be uh, so highly symbolic that it, it, it's hard to put into words and it's hard to understand. But when I look through the pages of the New Testament, the Apostles are sort of constantly pointing their people to long for heaven especially in the situations they were in facing persecution and hardship and limited means they never really stop talking about it listen to what the Apostle Paul says in just this emotionally soaring passage out of 2nd Corinthians 4 right after I take this sip of coffee 2nd Corinthians 4 verses 16 through 18 we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen when the Apostle Paul talks about our lives anticipating what's to come he he compares it with the process of birth he says in romans 8:22 and 23 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now he says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our body So there's this sense in which, on the one hand, in this body, as Paul talks about, it's this, it is affliction, it is groaning, there is difficulty. We sin, we suffer, we die, we go through the processes that everybody else has to face because we're still products of a fallen world. True, but what does he say in the same passage in Romans 8, Romans 8, 18? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And remember this is a man who endured much suffering and yet as he looks back over his life filled with pain and suffering he says it's just a light momentary affliction in contrast to what's coming. Now of course the fear is sometimes that if we focus too much on heaven that will be no earthly good. You've probably heard that phrase before. But C.S. Lewis has a, a famous quote dealing with this issue. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who actually did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And I think this truth bears itself out when you read the biographies of various missionaries and people like that throughout history. They are oftentimes very heavenly minded, and yet they are so utterly grounded in doing whatever it takes to serve their neighbor. They're free. They're free to just give their lives away to their neighbor because they know what awaits them, no matter what kinds of persecution or suffering may come. Okay, so that's what God is working for us in the future that gives us joy. But what's God working for us presently that gives us joy? Well, Paul makes the statement in verse 3, we rejoice in in our sufferings. That's a present tense statement. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now that sounds crazy at first. There's nobody I know jumping up and down at the prospect of suffering. But again, here's Paul's logic. We rejoice in our sufferings, verse three, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Let's break that down just a little bit. Suffering in the present eventually produces endurance. If you doubt that, just think about exercising at the gym, which I've been doing for the last couple months. And I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you the same thing that everybody tells you. The first time you go back, it does feel like absolute suffering. I didn't want to be there at all. Every, every second on the treadmill my first day back was just... An exercise in misery. I didn't like any of it. But I will say now, I've been doing it for a couple of months, and it has produced endurance so that I can go on the treadmill or the bike for much longer than when I first started, and I'm able to do more. And it's become easier. So it produces so this suffering produces endurance, and then this endurance produces character. The word for character is really this sort of like proven character. The idea being that when you go through the really difficult stuff in life, the really trying times, and somehow come out on the other side, it it proves you, it strengthens you, it it resolves you. And when you're resolved and proven, well then you have hope or deeper confidence. The idea that is being presented is that we can rejoice even in the midst of sufferings because through the, we don't have to like the sufferings and we don't have to pretend that they're not bad. So we're not tr- talking about putting a smiley face when there's no smile to be had. You can acknowledge that it's terrible and that it hurts. That you don't like it and that you long for it to be done. But you can also at the same time, because of what God says he's doing in you through this, you can find joy in the midst of them and be filled with hope. This whole thing reminds me of something I learned a while back from a man named Les Fields about the Chinese bamboo tree. The tree is really different from most trees in that it doesn't grow in the usual uh, fashion that we're used to. While most trees grow pretty steadily over a period of years, the Chinese bamboo tree doesn't break through the ground for the first four years of its existence. Nevertheless, every single day that tree has to be fertilized, and watered, and nurtured like any other plant or tree. But for again, four years, there seems to be not a sign, not a hint of growth from your perspective. So just imagine planting one of those trees in your front yard and every day you water the same spot and make sure it's properly fertilized. Your neighbors see you doing this and at some point they start asking questions. You say you're growing a bamboo tree? is that right well i don't know man it doesn't look like it's uh, it doesn't look like it's working where is it and every day with seemingly no sign of life you continue to water and make sure it's properly nourished and then in the fifth year an amazing thing happens the tree begins to grow at an astonishing rate in fact In a period of just five weeks, a Chinese bamboo tree can grow to a height of 90 feet. I mean, it's almost as if you can actually see the tree growing before your eyes. So the question is, when did the tree start growing? Did it suddenly start growing in the fifth year? No. The tree, underground in an unseen, unimpressive way, in a way that no one could have guessed at the time, was growing the entire time. And that's in some sense, as we're in the midst of our suffering, it feels like there's no growth to be seen at all. And yet, God is indeed, unimpressively, invisibly, doing his work, producing hope in us and endurance and character. Okay. So you say, Eric, that's, that's all well and good. That's great. Uh, but what is the anchor for my joy? I mean, how can I really know that all this, you know, hope stuff is actually true for me. And Paul says for that, we have to always look to what God has accomplished for us in the past. This is what Paul says. Look at all the past tense stuff here. God's love has been, past tense, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, past tense, for while we were, past tense, still weak, at the right time, Christ died, past tense, for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were, past tense, still sinners, Christ died for us, since therefore we have now been... Past tense, justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, past tense by him from the wrath of God. And I could go on and on. What this passage is saying is that God decided to take the initiative in providing the means by which he could provide heaven for you. Notice the language again, all throughout the passage, Christ died for you. While you were still powerless, not after you gained enough power. While you were still ungodly, not after you became godly enough. While you were still sinners, not when you stopped sinning. And while you were his enemy, not when you became his friend. God knew that would never happen on our own dime, Or for that matter, in our own time. He knew if there's any saving, if there's any reconciling that's going to happen in this relationship, it's going to have to be one way. He's going to have to act before we can do anything to help ourselves. And that is the anchor for our joy. The reason that we can face the suffering, the reason that we have hope for the future, is because of all that's been accomplished in the past For sinners like us, by a perfect, spotless Lamb of God named Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has done. It turns out, God is not in the business of helping those who help themselves, He is only in the business of helping those who cannot. So, Martin Luther. A man who, like so many of the great saints throughout history, struggled himself with probably big bouts of depression. Also, because of this, was able to bring great comfort to those who were struggling. Because remember, this passage is, talks a lot about joy, but it's joy in the midst of suffering. One time writing to a friend with, who was really despairing, he said this, Learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. You became what you were not so that I might become what I was not. You wanna have joy, triumphant exaltation. Learn to sing that song, the song that declares God has made me his enemy into his friend. That's what he gives to all of us who believe, and that is why we can face the obstacles in front of us with a sense of hope and joy. All right, gang, that is it for today. Uh, We will see you next week as we continue on with the epistle texts of the Lenten lectionary. Hope you have a wonderful week. God bless.